With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Trying to sell your old car? Instead, donate your vehicle to Heritage for the Blind. Pickup is free, and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-943-1356. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats, whether they run or not. Donate your vehicle, and you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call 1-800-943-1356. That's 1-800-943-1356. Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering you to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway Pierce. Well, hi to all of you, and welcome to the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, Live Fully and Love Deeply by Improving the Quality of Our Personal, Professional, and Spiritual Relationships. If you did not catch last week's show, I was very excited because um, we have now launched the official website for this show. So check it out at www.thespeedwayshow.com. This is the place where you can listen to the shows, see what's coming up, Read and post comments, send me an email, volunteer to be a guest, and lots of other things. If Facebook is more your speed, you can join in the discussion and listen to posted on-demand shows on your own time on the fan page, facebook.com slash The Speedway Show. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash, you guessed it, The Speedway Show. <laughs> Our topic for today is understanding Judaism. You might have caught our first cultural foray, which was Journey into Islam, which got a lot of listeners and um, which generated a lot of interest. And so today we're going to explore a different um, major religion, which is Judaism. Now, as you may already know, the underlying theme of the Spiele Show is to serve as an idea exchange, right? And one of the things that makes this show so different from other relationship discussions when it comes to spirituality is our reliance on the life manual as a guidepost to living fully and increasing the success of our relationships. If you're wondering what a life manual is, it is the life, it is the manual that comes with your body, mind, and spirit. Depending on your personal persuasion, You may use the Hebrew Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Christian Bible, or some other holy writing that speaks to you. While expressed in different ways, the underlying truths about living right and living a godly life tend to be the same. 
And, in fact, I found that there may be ideas we can borrow from each other across religions to strengthen our own spiritual walk. And, of course, it is easier to respect and admire components of someone else's faith if you have a better understanding of what that faith looks like. So to help us understand Judaism a bit better today, I have with me my friend Brent Rotman. So let me tell you a little bit about Brent. Brent just happens to be the president of the Minnesota State Bar Association, or the MSBA, and actually he and I got to know each other last year when I was serving as the president of the Minnesota Association of Black Lawyers, or MABEL, and Brent was president-elect of the MSBA. He is a partner, general counsel, and Asia regional trademark attorney with the intellectual property law firm of Merchant & Gould in Minneapolis, and he is the first IP lawyer to head the MSBA. He has a strong entrepreneurial spirit. He invented the KidSmart smoke detector and still works with the company today. He is the co-founder of Mensch Brothers Pickle Company, which makes apparently really, really good pickles. And he owned and operated a window washing service during college, so his entrepreneurial bent goes way, way back. On top of that, Brent is incredibly smart and has received several awards to prove it. He was designated a Minnesota Super Lawyer in 2006, 2007, and 2011. This is a distinction awarded by peers to fewer than 2% of the lawyers in the state. He was designated Minnesota Attorney of the Year in 2004, one of only 15 lawyers nominated statewide by the Minnesota Lawyer Magazine. And he received a Best of Innovations Award in 2003, in the 2003 Consumer Electronics Show for inventing the KidSmart smoke alarm. So that must have been some kind of smoke alarm is what I'm thinking. But I share this with you only to give you some context of who he is, because what we are going to talk about today is Judaism, because Brent also just happens to be, much to my delight, Jewish. Brent, welcome to the Speedway Show. Speedway, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Now, before we start, Brent has a disclaimer that he's going to give us. Tell us, Brent. Right. It's important to realize that I'm, I'm of course, I'm not speaking you know, in my capacity as bar president, of course, but I'm also not a clergy member. Um, I have not spent my life uh, devoted to studying Judaism um, the way many people have. So um, my understanding and my um, my understanding of actually the religious laws are not going to be as sophisticated, perhaps, as others, but I'm happy to give you the way I've interpreted and personalized them for myself and my life, in my life, with my family, and for myself. Now, when I first asked Brent to be on the show, he said, well, you know, I can probably find you somebody who is more educated than I to talk about this topic. And I said, no, 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 I want you to do it because one of the things that I say all the time on the show is everyday people, everyday lives, right? What I'm really looking for is somebody who can share with the everyday person what on a day-to-day basis uh, somebody of another religious walk believes and how they put that belief into practice. So you are the perfect person to talk to us, and it is definitely by design that you are not a rabbi or minister or anything like that. And um, to my listeners, let me also share with you that I, too, am not a minister, I'm not a rabbi, I'm not a um, 
uh, imam, I'm not in anything uh, that has uh, some sort of um, educated religious background. I am just somebody who is trying to facilitate a process whereby we can maybe understand each other across religious beliefs a little bit better. So to get us started, and the other disclaimer that I will give you listeners is that this is an adult show. We do talk about adult topics today, perhaps not as much, but please use your discretion if you have young ears around. And you can always catch the show on demand on the website, thespeedwayshow.com, at any time after it airs. So with that, we are going to start with The, you know, I'm going to play you a clip that I heard that I really liked, and it is a uh, conversation about a rabbi who is talking about the concept of congregation in the Jewish faith. Take a listen. When I was growing up in the Bronx, the Reb said, everyone knew everyone. Our apartment building was like family. We watched out for one another. I remember once as a boy, I was so hungry and there was a push cart by our building. I tried to nudge the cart so an apple would fall into my hand. That way it wouldn't feel like stealing. Suddenly I heard a voice from above yelling at me in Yiddish, Albert, it is forbidden. I jumped. I thought it was God. Who was it, I asked. A lady who lived upstairs. I laughed. Not quite God. No, Mitch, but you see... We were part of each other's life. If someone was about to slip, someone else could catch him. That's the critical idea behind a congregation. We call it Kehila Kadosha, a sacred community. We're losing that now. The suburbs have changed things. Everyone has a car. Everyone has a million things scheduled. How can you look out for your neighbor? You're lucky to get a family to sit down for a meal together. He shook his head and hooked his bony fingers together. The Reb was generally a move-with-the-times guy, but I could tell he didn't like this form of progress at all. Well, I, I, I picked that out. It comes from a book by Mish Album, who is uh, a writer, and he is also a, sports, a very popular sportscaster. And I, I picked that from his book entitled Have a Little Faith because... It, it so beautifully describes the concept of the congregation, whereas I think oftentimes in mainstream um, belief system today, when you hear the word congregation, you assume it's a group of Christians sitting in a church singing holier than thou and doing boring things. So with that, let's start with our first obvious question. Brent, do you use a life manual? And if so, what is it? Uh, thank you for that. Uh, you know, the clip was very interesting, by the way. I want to comment on that. Um, so much of Judaism is a feeling of community. Um, it's it's interesting that that's one thing that binds Jews together. That's why I think they're such a, a closely knit group of people, because everyone is, it's all one family. Um, it's interesting, they they talk about the Ethiopian Jews that were discovered perhaps in the 50s or 60s mm-hmm. that no one knew they existed there. And when they found the Jewish community in Ethiopia in these isolated villages, those Jews were reading the same portion of the Torah or the Bible that Friday night that every Jew around the world was reading. Really? I mean, they had not lost track of the time frame. It's, it's it, They're all tied together. It's a remarkable community. And I was talking to a rabbi recently who explained to me that, 
you know, when a young boy is eight days old, he has to be circumcised. That's Jewish law. Um, it is the responsibility of the parents to ensure that that happens. Well, if the boy is over 18 years old and he has not been circumcised, that's the responsibility and the fault and the blame on, of the community for not having seen to his to his education and to ensure that the, the rituals were followed. So there is a oh. large community responsibility within Judaism. Do I have a life? Um, do I have a life manual? Well, I, I don't have a strict life manual. I've, I've incorporate the principles and the concepts I've learned within Judaism mm -hmm. into my personal life, um, and that includes being the best possible father, um, the best possible husband that I can be, um, staying healthy. Um, there's a concept within Judaism called tikkun olam, which means which is Hebrew for healing the world. It's the special responsibilities of Jews to make the world a better place, to do what they can to improve the world, um, moving the ball forward. And I try to do that personally, professionally, and for the community as well. Um, you go through life and you try not to hurt anyone. You try to treat others the way you would want to be treated, um, which one Jewish uh, philosopher distilled as really the bottom line in Judaism is the golden rule, treating others the same way you'd want to be treated, and trying to enjoy life. I mean, um, Jew Judaism is a rich uh, cultural experience where you get a lot of joy out of family, out of ritual, um, out of everyday experience, um, and I try to live that to the fullest. Well, funny that you would talk about this golden rule because, of course, as Christians well know, um, at the end of the day, all of the commandments that uh, were articulated for Christians in the Old Testament were boiled down and distilled by Jesus to, bottom line, love God and love others as you love yourself. So I find that interesting because what you're saying then is, is, is quite similar to the Christian faith in that respect. I think that that's right. And, of course, they're, the two faiths are related. Mm -hmm. Closely tied. So, speaking of which, now you get to set me straight on this because I have to confess my ignorance uh, in that I have assumed that the primary difference between the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible is that the Tanakh does not include the New Testament. Are the differences really that simplistic or is there more to it than that? That actually is the main difference. Um, the The Hebrew Bible, and we don't refer to it really as the Old Testament, uh, which suggests that there, you know, an Old Testament is antiquated, a New Testament is 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 much New more and interesting, right? Or 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 perhaps better. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's referred to as the the Hebrew Bible. Um, the it includes the Torah, which is the five books of Moses. If you ask religious Jews, and there are levels of Judaism, which is a it's very complex. There's um, the Orthodox, who are the most religious, and then there's the conservative Jews, who don't necessarily take things all literally. And then there's the Reformed Jews, who perhaps look at the things that they read in the in the Torah as as lessons and um, to learn from, but not necessarily uh, actual events that occurred. The Torah itself, which is incorporated into the scrolls, you may have seen a Torah. It's a it's a parchment that's rolled. Um, and carried and very, very holy is supposed to be, according to the Orthodox and the conservative movement, the word of God given to Moses 
on Mount Sinai. That okay. actually, those are actually God's words. Then the the Tanakh includes also um, rabbinic writings and interpretations and the oral history. So God wrote down the five books, and then he orally told Moses in, interpretations and how to apply the law, and that's the oral law that was given to Moses. So that's not part of the Torah. It's a separate, separate. Okay, so you so. have the prophets and the writings, um, and you have, of course, rabbinic interpretations. Okay, so <clears throat> this is me, the the non-biblical scholar. Then you caught my attention because, you know, what I remember from what I've read about Moses was that he goes up to the top of Mount Sinai, he hangs out there for 40 days, and, you know, lots of misbehavior ends up happening because <laughs> the people left below didn't know what he was doing. He comes down with these Ten Commandments that, you know, he gets angry, he breaks them, he has to go back up to, <laughs> up to the Lord and get ten more. But what you're saying then is he didn't just get the Ten Commandments, he got these five books as yeah. well. He got the entire five books, that's correct. And it's interesting that you mentioned about Moses getting angry and, and breaking the tablets. Because of that act, because of his lack of faith in God and his anger toward God, <laughs> Moses, after carrying his people out of Egypt, you know, freeing them from slavery, going through the desert for 40 years, living on manna that falls from heaven, right, yep, yep, yep. was not allowed into, um, into Israel. By God, he was not allowed to join his people because of the the anger he had expressed. Okay, see now, I uh, let's talk about that a bit because interestingly enough, I, I I've often asked what was it that caused God to 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 forbid him from entering, and what I what I have heard is that there was a point when the Israelites were grumbling about water. And they didn't have water, they didn't have water. And God told Moses to go speak to a rock and water would come out. And Moses, who had must have had a bit of a temper, <laughs> having killed an Egyptian at the beginning of his, you know, at the before he even was picked. But um, Moses apparently, instead of speaking to the rock, he goes and he hits the rock. And that's also the, the I've, I've heard the explanation that it was the anger that, that caused that disobedience that then causes God to say, okay, you don't get to go into the promised land. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I don't know definitively, but I hear the theme of anger. <laughs> right. And I, I think that that's right. I think both are probably you know, logical and appropriate interpretations. Maybe God was just set up. Right. God wanted pretty much an un, you know, unqualified um, obedience, obedience and, and faith by Moses. Okay, so then carry on. So you're talking about the uh, the difference between the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible. Are there any other big differences? Because, you know, there, there are differences between even the Catholic and the Protestant Bible, right? So the Catholic Bible has, for example, the story of the two very long books about the Maccabees that right. do not appear in the Protestant right. Bible. So when we talk about the Old Testament, it's not even the same among within the Christian organization. So when we say the Hebrew Bible is similar, mm -hmm. um, does it include things like the books of the Maccabees? Do you happen to know? It doesn't actually. Okay. Um, certain books got in and certain books didn't. And one of the okay. reasons that one of the interpretations as to why that is is that the rabbis hated the book of Maccabees. Why? They did they disliked the holiday of Hanukkah. Because if you look back at the history of that particular holiday, 
um, the Jews committed a massacre. There were there were rebels, and there were there yeah. was civil war, and there was lots of um, killing. Lots of killing, and the rabbis didn't think that that was appropriate for something to be taught from generation to generation. So they made a political decision, if you will, to not include certain books within the Tanakh. Um, oh, isn't that interesting? Um, Enoch and, and Judith are not in either, because okay. in, in, the, in the book of Judith, you know, the, the Jews took vengeance on people and massacred them. And it was not, you know, it was not the model that the rabbis wanted to show for Judaism. So there are certain books that were included and certain books that were not. Well, do you happen to know if the book of Esther is included? Because, you know, in, in Esther... You know, most people who know anything about the book of Esther recognize that this was the book where Esther, a Jew, saves her people through working with um, Mordecai. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was, his name was Haman. Or Haman. 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 Okay. Yeah. So Haman plots to annihilate the Jews because he's mad at Mordecai's unwillingness to bow down to, his, to him. And, um, but the interesting thing that I thought well, the thing that I thought was interesting was when Haman gets hanged for his treachery at the behest of the king, um, what then follows is revenge by the Jews mm-hmm. against all of their enemies. Mm-hmm. And they killed a ton of people. Right. And I just thought, wow, I, did, I, I, I didn't notice that until I read the Bible like for the third time. It's true. It, it is, it's relatively barbaric when you look at some of the stories, but I think Esther makes it in. I Esther think makes it, it. Esther okay. makes it in, and that holiday that celebrates, if you will, um, one of the few victories Jews have ever had in their history, uh-huh. um, is called Purim. And yeah. Purim is a—it's uh, the holiday for children. It is the Halloween of Judaism. Um, Halloween is not supposed to be celebrated by by Jews, although in America, of course, it's very difficult to tell a yeah, young child who grows up in the society <laughs> not to dress up and ask for candy. Yes. But Purim is the dress-up holiday within Judaism, and you're supposed to be, and it, this is an interesting story for you, um, it's, you're, it's a mitzvah, it's a commandment, it's a good deed to get drunk on Purim. Really? Yes, so that you can not tell the difference between Haman and Mordecai. Um, in the in the story, uh, and the rabbis interpret that as why why is it a mitzvah to get drunk? Because we want to try to forget the misery that we caused for others oh. through that holiday. Isn't that interesting? So kids dress up and as Haman, as Mordecai, as Esther. In fact, you know, I every year they have what's called a Purim spiel at the synagogues where you dress up and have a, a comedy musical. And I'm in that typically every year. And I was perhaps one of the only bearded Esthers <laughs> that you can imagine. But it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful and fun holiday. And every time Haman's name is mentioned in the synagogue, yeah. there's something called a grogger, which is a, a noisemaker. And every time Haman's name is mentioned, every little kid in the synagogue turns their grogger um, to, to curse Haman's name. Oh, isn't that interesting? And we have pastries and food related to that holiday to resemble Haman's three-cornered hat. Oh, wow. And, you know, what I, what I would tell the Christian uh, readers in the audience is, if you have never read the version of Esther that is in the Catholic Bible, that it's actually kind of interesting to read because I, 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 I haven't read my Protestant. I, I got a Catholic Bible just because I'm not Catholic, but I wanted to see what I was missing. And um, 
in the in the in the book of Esther in the Catholic Bible there are inserts that I don't think appear in the Protestant Bible. So like the the actual text of the letter that the king sent out when he decided that he was going to execute Haman and he stopped the massacre of the Jews and the the words that Esther either uttered or wrote in celebration where she's declaring Purim. Um, they actually appear in the Catholic Bible, but they do not appear in the Protestant Bible. So I just thought that was an interesting thing as, you know, sort of the layperson who's kind of reading go, and reading the stuff and going, gee, I didn't know that. What What is uh, a note that I'd make is that, of course, in Christianity, so much is placed on the translation mm-hmm. that you happen to read. In Judaism, there's only one text. It's the Hebrew that controls um, I know wars have been fought over translations in the Bible. Yeah. Um, but, of course, in Judaism there is one text. It's, you know, there may be, um, like the Reform Movement, which is the liberal movement, progressive movement within Judaism, uh, may change some of the words because they're uncomfortable with them. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, recently they changed some of those words back. They said we've strayed too far from the original text. So I don't think there's any disagreement as to what is the 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 original and what what is the uh it's the hebrew torah okay so here's what i'm wondering at this point for the for the average person like you and me who decides that i want to practice judaism you know you've described the scroll and you have now talked about the fact that it you know the hebrew is the original language so how then do you an English-speaking Jew, then get to something that you can hold in your hand? Or do you have something that you can hold in your hand? Has the Hebrew Bible been distilled into an English translation that is agreed upon? Um, Well, I think that there's general consensus as to most of it. I Mm -hmm. mean, there, there are changes. I mean, obviously, for example, the conservative and reform movement have taken gender-specific comments that are uh, that relate to men and make it men and women. I mean, there are changes around the edges, but mm-hmm. generally the translation um, is agreed upon, I think, by all sec- se- uh, segments of Judaism. How do you decide um, to be religious or to where do you learn the education? It's the responsibility, mm-hmm. of course, of parents to educate their children in Judaism. Um, I'm the godfather of, uh, of um, a young man. It is in Judaism, my godfather is responsible for the Jewish education, believe it or not, of, of, oh, the, god, really? of the god child. Um, and, you you know, Jewish young men and young women, boys and girls, typically will go to Hebrew school. Um, Catholics, I remember when I was in elementary school, the Catholics would get on the bus to go to catechism, and the Jews would get on the bus to go to Hebrew school um, after day school, and that's where you learn Jewish ritual, what the words mean. You go to synagogue, um, and uh, you get bar bat mitzvah. Um, Orthodox girls don't get bar bat mitzvah, but the rest of Jews do. So that's where you learn Judaism, and whether or not you follow the faith, whether or not you practice ritual, is an individual decision. Each person decides for themselves how religious or not religious they wish to be. Okay, so in my home I have some translation, one of the many translations, 
uh, of the Christian Bible, right? So I used to have a King James Bible until I realized that I, I really didn't understand it. So I had to go find something that was easier to, to grasp for somebody who was just, you know, really, really basic. So inside of within your home, do you have, because, you know, I, I sort of have loosely talked about this, uh, the Hebrew text as the Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'm stuck, I'm stuck on this, this vision of the scroll because what I'm wondering is, do you have a, a, a book in your home that is an English document that is like a Bible? Oh, it is the, it is the Hebrew Bible. It's the, it's the Torah um, but not on a on a parchment. It's the, okay. an English translation. It's the Hebrew and the English okay. of what's in the Torah. It's the five books okay. of Moses. Um, but in our home as well, we have all sorts of other texts, including the Shulchan Aruch, which is what the Orthodox use. Um, it's the it's the code of Jewish law. Uh-huh. So when you want to understand what the ritual is, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to hold the Torah? What prayers do you say when you get uh, up in the morning? Yeah. The Shulchan Aruch lays it all out for you. Okay. In each holiday, how you light the candles, which direction you light them from, it's all prescribed. Wow. That's pretty involved. It is. And I think probably the vast majority of American Jews um probably don't know most of what's in there. Mm-hmm. But, for example, Hanukkah, which is a beautiful holiday, you know, if you don't think about, you know, the historical <laughs> basis, you light candles, and you light one candle for every night of Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. There is a ritual as to how you load the candles into the menorah, which is the candle holder, mm-hmm. and how you light them. So you load them from right to left, and you light them from left to right because you don't want any of the candles feeling slighted. <laughs> oh, wow, I did not know that. So now let me ask you this. Now, once upon a time, I asked a Jewish colleague of mine why he thought the Jews were such a target of not just really one, but you know, numerous holocausts. Right? So you read, you read, you read the Bible, and you see, you know, books like Esther, and there are other books where there are plots to annihilate the Jews. So this wasn't something that Hitler came up with that was particularly new. And I asked him why he thought that was, and he whipped out this book from his desk called Why the Jews, which was actually a really good book. And one of the things that I learned from this book is that Judaism consists of three components. There is, number one, God or the Jewish conception of God. Number two, there is the Torah, which is Jewish law, which is what you talked about. And then there's number three, Israel, which is Jewish nationhood. So is it true then that a person can follow the Torah and ascribe to the Jewish conception of God, even if they're not Jewish by nationality? Mm-hmm. Um, I found I learned something preparing for, for our talk, Speedway. Um, apparently it's technically not permitted for someone who's not Jewish to follow Jewish law and uh, follow the commandments. Really? Technically speaking. Um, now, I didn't even know that existed. Uh, oh. Uh, you're, you're Jewish by virtue of birth. Okay. Right? If you're born to a Jewish mother, uh-huh. then you're Jewish. Whether you believe in God, whether you have faith, whether you practice the religion, whether you follow the commandments, you are a Jew by virtue of your birth. Now, the reform will say... Um, and again, that's the more progressive of the three brand, the three major branches. It can be a mat, um, it can be matrilineal or patrilineal. If your father's Jewish, 
then you're Jewish. But religious law, and this this has caused all sorts of issues in Israel, where the religious right um, have our political force. And can you can you get married in Israel if you're unable to show that you're Jewish by birth or that your grandparents were Jewish? Um, it, it has causes significant problems. Um, but of course, can a person follow religious commandments? Um, of course, they can. Um, does Jewish law recognize that? Apparently, it prescribes non-Jews from following that. However, I will say, and we can talk about this later, there are Jews have 613 commandments oh, they're supposed boy. to follow. It's said that there are 613 seeds in a pomegranate um, and that they're related. Non-Jews are only required to follow seven, the seven laws of Noah. Oh, that sounds easier. <laughs> right, it's, it's a much easier um, lifestyle. But Jewish Jewish law and the commandments are very detailed. Many of them cannot be followed by anyone at this point because the temple has not been rebuilt in Jerusalem. And until the Messiah comes and until the temple is rebuilt, it's impossible to actually fulfill some of those commandments. Okay, so let's talk about the seven because that sounds simple. Um, because even in, in, in the Christian um, belief system, there are ten. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm thinking, boy, seven sounds kind of attractive, actually. So, <laughs> yeah, right. so do you happen to know what the seven are? I do, actually. I have them here. Tell um, me. The Noahide laws are, are deri- uh, derived in the Talmud, and they're listed. Um, murder is forbidden, of course. Uh-huh. Theft is forbidden. Sexual immorality is forbidden. Eating flesh cut from a still living animal. From a still living animal. Still living animal. Belief in and worship of or prayer to idols. Blaspheming uh, against God is forbidden. Uh-huh. And society must establish a fair system of legal justice to administer laws honestly, which is a wonderful thing for the president of the Bar Association to read. <laughs> one of the seven foundations is a fair system of justice. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so you did get my attention with the not eating flesh from a still living animal. I mean, who does that? Was there a reason for that kind of commandment? <laughs> I, I, you know, I presume there is. There's a reason for everything, but I don't know it. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so now um, I have always heard that people who are not Jews are considered Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Is that an accurate statement? And and part of the reason I, I think I hold that idea is because when, you know, in the New Testament, in the Christian Bible, when I think it was Paul in particular, was telling and encouraging the disciples, they were supposed to go out, and I think even this is true of Jesus, and like I said, I'm not a biblical scholar, so I might not get this exactly right, but the admonition in spreading the word of God was to go out to the Jews and the Gentiles. And some of the disciples who were Jewish had a really big problem with having to go and spread the word to the Gentiles because they were like, so, <laughs> so, it, it, so who are Gentiles from from the from Judaism's perspective? Are they everybody who's not Jewish, or is it something else? No, my understanding. Again, I am certainly not a biblical scholar or religious scholar either. <clears throat> my understanding is Gentiles does not refer to everyone who's not Jewish.
Jewish. Um, for example, Muslims are not considered Gentiles. It's, Gentiles primarily refers to Christians. Okay. Um, there is a concept, <coughs> excuse me, a, a word that's widely used um, in, in Jewish communities. The word is goy, and it has a negative connotation of a non-Jew. It really is not a negative connotation. The word actually means nation, and it refers to the fact that the Jewish people um, and separation has always been important to Judaism, and I can talk about that if you'd like, but um, the Jewish people have always kind of been somewhat separate. Mm -hmm. um, that feeds into perhaps why the Holocaust occurred, okay. uh, because it's easy when someone is visually different than you are mm -hmm. um, to be scared of them or oh, to sure. not like them or to scapegoat. Yep. But Jews have always been somewhat separate. Um, they've assimilated more or less depending on the country, depending on the era, but their customs are different, their, their practices are different, they may dress differently. Um, and so Goy refers to nation, and these are nations other than the Jewish nation. Um, oh. But why have Jews, why have Jews been targeted? There, there are a host of reasons, perhaps. Um, one person explained to me that, of course, Jew, Jews and Judaism and, uh, is one of the oldest peoples in the world, surviving peoples in the world. Okay. Um, and for that reason, uh, they have been, you know, it's kind of like the valedictorian always gets picked on. They've been around for a long time. They've, they, they have established themselves. They might be, there may be jealousies involved. Um, Jews, you know, it's interesting also that uh, there's discussion about um, Jews' involvement in, for, in the financial industry, for yeah. example. Traditionally, Jews were never allowed to be professionals. Really? Um, they weren't able to be doctors. They weren't able to be lawyers. They weren't even allowed to be bankers. Allowed by who? By communities. By, um, by, by communities societies. outside of themselves. Right. Okay. Um, and... For example, in the United States, Jews have been separated out. Their Jews weren't Jewish doctors were not allowed privileges in normal hospitals. They had to establish their own system of hospitals to practice medicine. And that's where how the Mount Sinai hospitals developed. Wow! Um, in Minneapolis alone, the automobile club, which which became AAA, wouldn't allow Jews in to Minneapolis's auto club. I mean, you, Edina, um, the the real estate deeds, you still many of them have unenforceable restrictive covenants that won't allow the seller to sell to Jews. No way. Oh, absolutely. These, you know, it's it's, and why does that happen? And why is there racism? And why is there hatred? It's a difficult thing to answer. Um, but I think that people have a tendency to dislike people who are different. And Jews always were separate. Jews make separation very important, not just in terms of themselves, but for example, they separate between day and night, and they separate between the, the Shabbat, you know, the the Sabbath, and the rest of the week. Um, they it's important. They separate in terms of foods and kashrut. It's all part of uh, part of the philosophy. Well, now you know one of the things I was I was talking to. A, in fact, I was talking to my cousin just the other day, and he made a statement that I have heard repeated over, a, you know, over the course of my life quite a bit, which is, you know, oftentimes other cultures 
will hold up the notion, and feel free to disavow me of this notion if it's inaccurate, but of the notion that, you know, Jews have it right when it comes to supporting their own society. And the fact that you've got Jews in the diaspora out in the United States who still support the less fortunate back in the, you know, in 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 their nations of origin, and I'm not even going to try and guess where that is, whether that's Israel or or other places. But um, you sometimes hear people say, you know, a dollar will bounce around the Jewish com- community something like eight to eleven times before it ever leaves that community. And why can't we, as you know, whatever else other community we are, replicate that? And why can't we do the same? Because that is how. Um, we all should take care of the people in our own culture and in our own society, and nobody seems to do that as well as Jews. And what you're suggesting today is that the reason um, for that, other than because it's the right thing to do, is that part of that may have come about because of the necessity of Jews being excluded from commerce and for practicing in other societies. Is that is that fair? I think that's fair. I think it's also fair to say, again, going back to our earlier discussion, that the Jewish community is like one big family. It's like a uh, mishpucha is the, is the Hebrew word. These are, you know, everyone, when I, it's interesting, when I travel around the world, oftentimes I'll go to a synagogue or I'll try to meet, you know, um, Jews or spend time with them on, on the Sabbath because there is such a feeling of connection it's it's kind of difficult to even describe but there i I remember i in i was young i was 22 years old backpacking through europe um went into a place in italy i went to so it was greece actually salonica greece went into a camping store to buy camping gas and i'm standing there looking at the materials and what they had to buy because i needed gas you know a little propane and the guy says i'm a jew are you a jew the owner of the store and I said yes and it was like like we were cousins that had finally found each other it was remarkable you know and there's a certain feeling of connection it's difficult to describe so yes I mean you know the charity begins at home Mm -hmm. you know you understand that concept and if someone in your family had a desperate need you would take care of them Um, it's similar in the Jewish community when the Russian Jews couldn't get out of Russia out of the Soviet Union, the Jewish community worldwide poured money into getting these people out safely and moving them to Israel, where they could practice religious freedom. So Interesting. So now, talk to us about, um, well, you know, actually I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a clip, because the clip is going to set up the question that I'm going to ask you. And... Um, uh, the clip is is a woman who's describing a painting that she saw in a book, and it, it's such a beautiful description. When I heard it, I thought, oh, yes, we have to talk about this. So take a listen to what she said. There were so many questions. For a start, most books like this, rich in such expensive pigments, had been made for palaces or cathedrals, but a Haggadah is used only at home. The word is from the Hebrew root, Haggad, to tell. And it comes from the biblical command that instructs parents to tell their children the story of the Exodus. This telling varies widely, 
And over the centuries, each Jewish community has developed its own variations on this home-based celebration. But no one knew why this Haggadah was illustrated with numerous miniature paintings at a time when most Jews considered figurative art a violation of the commandment. It was unlikely that a Jew would have been in a position to learn the skilled painting techniques of Inktia. The style was not unlike the work of Christian illuminators, and yet most of the miniatures illustrated biblical themes as interpreted in the Medrash, or Jewish biblical exegesis. I turned the parchment and suddenly found myself gazing at the illustration that had provoked more scholarly speculation than all the others. It was a domestic scene. A family of Jews, Spanish by their dress, sits at a Passover meal. We see the ritual foods, the matzah, to commemorate the unleavened bread that the Hebrews baked in haste on the night before they fled Egypt. A shankbone, to remember the lamb's blood on the doorposts that had caused the angel of death to pass over Jewish homes. The father, reclining as per custom, to show that he is a free man and not a slave, sips wine from a golden goblet as his small son beside him raises a cup. The mother sits serenely in the fine gown and jeweled headdress of the day. Probably the scene is a portrait of the family who commissioned this particular Haggadah. But there is another woman at the table, ebony-skinned and saffron-robed, holding a piece of matzah, too finely dressed to be a servant and fully participating in the Jewish rite. The identity of that African woman in saffron has perplexed the book scholars for a century. Well, uh, you are listening to the Speedway Show, where we are talking to accomplished and esteemed lawyer Brent Routman about his Jewish faith. If you have friends you would like to refer to the show, it will be available on demand on thespeedwayshow.com and on facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow after today. So, Brent, as you listen to the richness, and, and I think you can kind of see why I, I gravitated, gravitated towards that, that clip, but um, there's just so much that she shared in such a small span of time um, that was pretty deep and significant. So I'm just going to open, give you the ultimate open-ended question and say, what did you think about that clip? Oh, I, I loved it. I it, it talks about Passover, or as we say in Hebrew, Pesach, um, which is the holiday celebrating the Exodus from Egypt. It is my favorite holiday in Judaism. It is the holiday that where you sit down with your children and everyone is at the table, and there are symbols all over the room, and you describe it. It is your responsibility to describe each of those symbols and what that means, and to retell the story of leaving. From leaving Egypt, and it's a remarkable story. I mean, um, and, and it's interesting to hear that because, of course, the la- the seder, the last the last supper was a seder. What does that mean, seder? A seder means order, technically speaking, literally. But if you look at the picture of you know the paintings of the last supper, yes. they are sitting down at a seder. This was during Passover. That's why Easter and Passover occur at the same time, usually each year. Uh-huh. Um, and you can see the symbols of Passover in those paintings. Um, you, in a Seder, everything is ordered. You tell the story a certain way. You go over each 
that you have a certain number of glasses of wine. You take, you say certain prayers at certain times. You explain what the various symbols are, what the haroset is. Haroset is a it's delicious mixture of apples and cinnamon and and wine that you put on matzah, which is the unleavened bread, and that's to symbolize the mortar that the Jews had to use to make the bricks to build, you know, the, the cities for Pharaoh. Uh-huh. And you have. You have bitter herbs that you dip in salt water to remind us of the bitterness of slavery. And there's something about every one of the symbols are just, you should, if you've not been to a Seder, I encourage your listeners to see if you can attend the Seder. It's a remarkable moment. In the clip that you played, this is a Spanish family. There are traditionally two geographic locations where Jews emanated from. One is Eastern Europe and Russia. Those are called Ashkenazic Jews. They spoke uh-huh. Yiddish. Yiddish is a combination of Hebrew and German and Eastern European languages, and they have a whole series of rituals. And in fact, because the Jews were marrying each other within this small gene pool, there are actually disorders and diseases that, you know, Ashkenazic Jews are susceptible to. And then there's the Sephardic Jews, the Spanish Jews. They didn't speak Yiddish. They never did. They were from Spain. Mm-hmm. They were thrown out. Span- Spain was the pinnacle of Jewish society in the 15th century. Really? And in 1492, the Jews and the Moors and the Muslims were thrown out of Spain, oh. not to return until the, perhaps the 1920s. Those Jews speak Ladino, or they even say you should hear Ladino's song. It's just melodic. It's gorgeous. That's Spanish and Hebrew combined. And those Jews went to Morocco. They went to North Africa. They went to South America. And they have different rituals during the Passover Seder. Ashkenazic Jews will not eat anything that can rise, like rice or corn, any grain that can rise. Oh, really? But Sephardic Jews can So I become Sephardic every Passover, even though my relatives are Ashkenazic. But it's a a wonderful ritual. I mean, Passover is a remarkable holiday. So when you talked earlier about the Ethiopian, the groups of Ethiopian Jews that were discovered, would those have been, would those have come from Spain, potentially? Well, you know, it's difficult to say. Some say they're the lost tribe. Some say they they don't recognize Hanukkah. They don't celebrate Hanukkah because they were cut off from mainstream Judaism mm-hmm. before Hanukkah became a holiday. Oh, really? So that's not even part of the the falashes, is what they're called. Their celebrations. It's I don't know the the origin. I don't. They would they would not probably be Ashkenazic. They probably would not be Sephardic. It probably goes much mm-hmm. further back. Go back than that. that. Uh, do you happen to know when Hanukkah became a holiday? Hmm. Um, the it, it celebrates the destruction um, of the Second Temple, I think, in 72 um, BCE, which is before the Common Era. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but um, I don't know when it, historically when it came into Judaism as a holiday. So here's the burning question I have. You know, you talked earlier when we're talking about the books that made it into the the Tanakh and the fact that the Maccabees, you know, I, I, I did, I braved reading first Maccabees in the Catholic Bible, but I have to tell you, it is bloody. It and is. it is, there's nothing, or at least in my opinion, there was nothing terribly godly about it because it's just a recitation of wars and a whole lot of people died. So I thought, yeah, this is not really that interesting. But if, 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 
if that if the books of Maccabees did not make it into the Hebrew Bible, how then does how then do Jews celebrate Hanukkah? Well, at some point, um, you know, the the Jews were in, in Babylon. Uh, they were what is now Iraq, mm-hmm. and there's. Um, rabbinic interpretations and much of the Talmud may have been produced uh, by the rabbis in Babylon. I am, and I know I'm far afield from my expertise, so there may be people listening to this, educated <laughs> Jews who are cringing. But at some point within, you know, at some point the the rabbis allowed that holiday to be celebrated um, and allowed people to read the Book of Maccabee. It's interesting. There is There are books that you're not supposed to read in Judaism that are that were hidden um, or um, not given to the general public um, uh, for many years, or if at all, there's there's mysticism, there's Jewish mysticism, the Kabbalah, um, which uh, you're, you're supposed to be, uh, I don't know, maybe 35 years of age before you're allowed to even view it. Really? And, oh, yeah. Uh, Jewish mysticism is very deep, and it's, it's you're supposed supposed to be have studied for years and years and years before you're allowed to be exposed to that information. Okay, well when you say that I'm thinking, well, the the concept of Kabbalah has been, you know, very bastardized and commercialized because what you hear the first time I heard that term was when certain um celebrities were walking around with crosses on their necks Madonna, and claiming, whatever. Yeah. Yes, and um, you know, I, I can't. It might have been Paris Hilton, and they were subscribing to you know what what they said, what they pronounced as Kabbalah. And is that the same? Is it the same concept? Uh, it is. I think those are the same texts. I have never read it. Um, okay. And I've not. I've not reviewed it. Um, you you have to reach reach a certain level of scholarship before you're supposed to. Okay. But I think yes, I think you know how people are attracted to very mystic kinds of laws. I mean, uh-huh. that's, I think that attracts celebrities as well. Oh, interesting. Okay, so um, we have talked about a number of different things. I um, let's let's talk about the concept of monotheism. I understand. And correct me if I'm wrong in my understanding that Judaism is a very strongly monotheistic religion. Um, what does that mean in the context of the Jewish belief system? Interesting. That, that's the, that is the foundation, really, um, that you believe in one God um, and that that God is all-powerful. You know, you had mentioned, and you and I have talked offline separately about Trinity and uh, mm-hmm. in Christianity, how there's this... Um, you know, the Father and the Son. And in, in Judaism, everything's wrapped up together. It's all, you know, God is one. Uh, there's no personification of God in Judaism. That's why Jews, you know, don't believe that Christ was the Son of God. There's no personification. Mm-hmm. Um, the Messiah has not arrived. There is one God, and there is a, there's, there are, there's a spirit, and there are different faces of God. There might be different, if you will, personalities. Uh, I hate to say that that way, but there are certain, you know, projections of God, but they're all one concept. Do you know, um, that is very much like Hinduism, because, you know, there is often the 
perception, and every Hindu I've ever talked to has said it's a misperception that Hindus worship all these multiple gods. And what they say is that they worship one god in different, they call them different aspects. And so it is God in the aspect of love, for example, God in the aspect of war, and it rings a bell when you talk about the different personalities of God because it all stems from the one father, but the one father, just like human beings, we have many different roles and many different components to who we are, but it doesn't mean that you are 20 different people just because you can express rage and love and and all of an industry and all of these things. So I find that kind of an interesting thing that you say, but at the end of the day, it sounds like the one big difference is there is no concept of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Right, they're all, and there is no concept of Son, you know, in in Judaism, but you're right, the Spirit and and God, it's one. And the holiest of holy prayers in Judaism, the Shema, um, Shema Yisrael Adonai Oheinu Adonai Echad, you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Blessed is his holy name forever and ever. There's one God, uh-huh. and that's the bottom, the line in Judaism. And that, you know, to, um, um, and that separates, again, you know, it separated Jews from the people that surrounded them. Well, um, you know, when I think about back when, for example, Moses, was trying to corral the Jews um, and and get them sort of all humming in the same direction. One of the difficulties that they encountered in the Promised Land was that they were dealing with people who um, worshipped multiple gods, right? Mm-hmm. And so here they come with this, you know, notion that there's only one God, and everybody's looking at them like what? And um, so, you know, I I. I I wonder if that was part of what made them, what made the Jews stand out so much because at the time they would have been surrounded by people who worshipped all sorts of idols and all sorts of gods, and it must have been just a really bizarre thing to have this group of people that really claims that there's only one. And that's that was the ang- the reason that Moses was so angry when he came down from Mount Sinai when he saw the golden calf because mm-hmm. that was an idol. That they were worshiping something other than God. They were worshiping an idol. Did they pick that up from Egyptian culture? Um, Do you think? Again, I would think that that's probably right. They, that's that's the society that they came from. That's what they were used to. Yeah, because even because the Israelites struggled for a lot of books in uh, the Bible where they they kept going back to the worship of Baal in particular, which is where. I think it was, was it Elijah who killed all the prophets of Baal and, and ticked off Jezebel and she was after his head and, and all of that. But it, it just seemed like over the course of their existence, they really struggled with this concept of worshiping this one God versus going back to, you know, the sex and the frolicking and the, you know, the, 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 women in the temple because it sounded like, you know, from a sexual promiscuity perspective, certainly the idol worship was happening. <laughs> so I could see why it was seductive. <laughs> and, you know, perhaps on a different program we can talk about, you know, Judaism and physical love because that's it's a, that's also very interesting. Well, we certainly will. 
So now I had already said to you before we started this show that this was not going to be the last one we did on Judaism because we had so much to talk about. And even as we're talking about, here's what we'd like to cover. I said, Brent, we're not going to cover this in an hour. So we are at the end of our show, and um, I'm going to confidently declare this to be Understanding Judaism Part 1, because now you have to come back so we can talk about all the other stuff, because we we have yet to touch on all the other interesting things, like my favorite topic, like food and uh, holidays, and in particular, um, the concepts of sin and death and relationships and how romantic relationships and even professional relationships maybe, if there are any things within Judaism that are different um, and and ideas. So let us uh, plan to talk about that. So for now, Brent, I'm going to say thank you so much for joining me on the Speedway Show today. It was such a pleasure to be with you, as usual. This Yes, um, my good friend. Um, Tune in next week for the Speedway Show. And um, as you've heard, everyday people, everyday lives. You don't have to be on the show. So join us next time where we will be talking about some other topic on the Speedway Show. Thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show. Until next time, live well, live fully, and love deeply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.